Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Constructionist Podcast. It's nice to see you again. The more you read the Bible and the more you think about what the Bible says, you discover that there is a vast, vast depth of wisdom that is there in it. And it takes a special eye to see it. And the Bible tells us this. For instance, one of the things that Jesus said is that it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to others it has not been given. Now, that sounds exclusive, and in the world we live in today, I don't think society as a whole likes the idea of being excluded. There's a lot of talk about being inclusive. But really, the scripture is designed for those who are seeking God. God wants us to seek Him, to interact with Him, to engage with Him, to have a relationship with Him. We see this all the way back as early as the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve, it says, in the evening and the cool of the day, the Lord came and they walked together and they spent time together. And they enjoyed each other's company and they learned about each other. Or perhaps I should say Adam and Eve or mankind learned about God, (laughs) as opposed to necessarily God learning about us. But uh, it's a relationship aspect. It's like spending time with your kids or with your spouse or with the person that you love the most, uh, best friend or something like that, parents and that kind of thing. So the thing when you read the Bible is that you find that there's kind of a duality that happens there quite often. And I'm going to point one out here in a minute, but it's a duality that is based on a singularity of who God is. So in the Gospels, when people say, well, what's the greatest commandment? That's that's the question that's asked. What is the greatest commandment? And the response, the correct response, which everyone in the Gospels agrees with, uh, whenever you read about the Pharisees or the Sadducees or just the average people or Jesus or priests or who knows what, they all agree on this one point. They all say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. They all agree that that is the greatest commandment. But what does it say? It says, Hear, O Israel, or listen to me, you people of God, the Lord your God is one. So the Hebrew word there is achad. It's a oneness. It's a unity. It is a um, uh, a complete package in and of itself. There is nothing God needs from outside of himself to make himself more complete. He is complete fully in and of himself. He is one. All things emanate from him. It's it's like the sun in the middle of a solar system. The sun itself needs nothing from outside itself to radiate back out to the universe. It just simply radiates. The sun radiates all the time, and there's no shadow that the sun has of him of itself. So it's not like 
you know, we could be on one side of the sun and another planet on the other. And we look and go, oh, look, the sun is casting a shadow. <laughs> There's the shadow of the sun. It just doesn't work like that because all over the sun comes its own radiance. And that's what God is like. He is his own radiance. He is a oneness. All things can proceed from him. He doesn't need anything in and of himself to be more than he actually is. So this idea of, um, you know, oh, that person is my soulmate and without them, I wouldn't be blah, blah. God's not like that. God is of himself, totally himself. <laughs> he doesn't need anything else. But we're not like that. We need to be other than ourselves in order to be like God. We need God because God created us. We need God. Now, Jesus talks about this idea of the kingdom of God. So today we talk about nationalities and we talk about political states and we talk about this country and that country and the other thing. It's the same sort of thing. A kingdom is a, a separate uh, political, social entity, self-sustained, self-autonomous uh, on its own, right? So when Jesus comes up and talks about the kingdom of God, he means something separate than the the Romans or the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Philistines or the Egyptians or whatever. He means a whole nother kingdom. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, uh, let's just go to Matthew 18 because this is really important. How is it that you enter into the kingdom of God? Now we're talking about this sort of dual approach. How do we balance opposing things uh, in God's way of looking at things? Because we humans tend to focus on one thing, or we tend to blow something out of proportion. So we either atomize or focus on one thing to the detriment of other things, and we don't listen to anything else, and we keep, you know, we elevate our own view, or our own opinion, or our own understanding of something above everything else, or we lump everything into one category to the exclusion of the details here and there. Either extreme is wrong. We have to walk in balance in these things. And I like the word balance because the idea of balance is having two or more things uh, equalized or held in equal esteem. You could put it that way. So Jesus says, Matthew says here, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they want to know, like, which prophet is it, or is it one of us, or who is this person that's going to be, in God's eyes, like, wow, that guy is the supreme everything. He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God lifts him up. And the reason why they're asking, if you read the whole of the Gospels, is because one of them thinks that they are it. And so they're sort of vying for position constantly. It's actually quite humorous when you read some of these portions about how they were arguing among themselves. And Jesus was like, what are you guys talking about? And then they don't want to tell him because they feel stupid as soon as they say it to, <laughs> say it to him. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples ask him that question. And then Jesus calls a little child to him set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So the teaching of Jesus on how to be great is to essentially be less to be humble, to be little. 
And so he talks about a little child. Now, this grates against us in some ways uh, because every you know little kids want to be grown up. You know, I've seen lots of little boys stick out their chest and say, oh, I'm eight, I'm 10, I'm 11. You know, they want to do things above themselves, which is normal and healthy and right. And that's what little kids need to be. You know, little girls usually want to grow up to be, you know, strong, noble women like their mothers. And little boys want to grow up and be strong, noble men like their dads. That's sort of the way things go, which is fine. But there's something about the character and the quality of little children that is admirable to us as adults. Because we go to work, we think about the rent, we think about the car payment, we think about the the, the mortgage, we think about, you know, how are we going to fix this problem? Oh man, my sofa's busted, my fridge is not conked out. Oh man, so-and-so over there is just really stressing me out at work. Oh man, so-and-so over there is really causing me all kinds of hassles. Oh, this job I've got going on right now, it really is stressing me out. This is the kind of life that we go through as adults. Whereas little kids, they sit and they, when they're, when they're completely at rest, they just enjoy themselves. They enjoy other little kids. They enjoy playing. They enjoy being creative. They don't think about the cares of this world, if I could put it that way. They just don't think about those things because to them, it's like, well, mom and dad got that covered. You know, I don't need to worry about that because that's something that mom and dad do. And I've actually turned to my kids at various stages. I have everything from a getting close to 19 year old all the way down to a, an eight year old. And uh, so I kind I have a 10 year span of the different ages. And in that span, you see them as they grow older, their, their circles get wider and wider and wider, and they begin to know other people. So right now, my one at university is telling us, oh, I'm stressed out, and I got this going on and that, and I got to sort this out. Well, yeah, that's you do, because you moved out, and now all this stuff is on you. Whereas when he lived at home, he didn't think about any of that stuff. You know, he didn't have to worry about what he was going to eat the next meal, because his mother shoved food in his face, even at 17, 18. His mother was shoving food in his face and that was sending him out the door for the day to go to, to go to class and that kind of thing. But now he's got to do it himself. And so, you know, he hardly eats a meal a day or whatever because he's, has all these other things he's got to fuss with all the time. Whereas my eight year old, he doesn't worry hardly about the next two minutes. And so Jesus says you have to be converted like into a little child. So that converting is, Metaphorically, it's a changing of the mind, but it's but it's often translated in the Bible just to turn. So, you know, somebody turns from one person to another. They turn their back from one thing to another, from this situation to that. It's I don't know that it's quite as strong as the word repent, which is metanoia, which literally means changing of the mind, to change your mind to something. This is more of a, used mostly in sort of a physical turning. But, uh, but it is the idea of not looking this way, but looking that way. And so he says you have to be converted and become as little children. So even in our grown-up state, we have to be like a little child in a little child state to not have the cares of the world, to look to mom and dad and just say, well, mom and dad got this. I don't have to worry about it. But then we've got another thing with Paul. So Paul talks about maturity 
So Jesus, when we're talking about the kingdom of God and we're talking about new covenant understanding of the world and of how we should live and how we should understand God, Jesus on one hand is saying you need to be like a little child, but Paul talks a lot about maturity. And so in Paul's teaching, he says, I was like a child, 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I thought about childish things. I did childish things. But when I became a man, I put away those childish things. I grew up. Now, that verse is in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13, where he's defining what love is and what love is like. And so, in that definition, he brings up this idea of, well, yeah, when I was a little child, I was immature about things, but now I am mature. I am grown up. And we have to understand it as growing up in love. So when you're a little kid and you run up to your mummy and say, oh, I love you, mummy, and give you a kiss on the cheek, that's great. But when you get older, it's like, oh, I love you, mom. Let me help you sell your house. Let me help you get things sorted out in this way so that you can be better off in your older age. Oh, I love you, mom. Let me show you how I can raise my kids to love you as well. Let me, you know, be this sort of person that is a productive and and, and useful and ultimately loving member of society. Because nobody wants their kids to grow up and become criminals and, you know, be on drugs and waste their life. We want our kids to grow up and be mature. And so, Paul talks about love in this chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love never fails. Love keeps no record of wrong. All these things he talks about, in, but it's in relation to other people. So the first commandment is to love God. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul, in his explanation in 1 Corinthians 13 of love, is all about loving others. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love is patient. Love is kind. If you live a life by keeping no record of wrong, that would eliminate a huge amount of, of uh, press, for one thing, out in the media. A lot of Facebook posts would vanish away if love kept no record of wrong, if you really truly loved your neighbor as yourself. These are things we have to mature into and grow into. And then Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 2.6 and in 1 Corinthians 14.20 and in Philippians 3.15, he talks about being mature in things like wisdom and understanding and mind and then ultimately love. And so when Paul's dealing with maturity... It's about things like personal growth and about understanding the world around us and about understanding the wisdom that comes from God and how to interact with other people and right relationship and things like this. So on the one hand, Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like a little child. Little children toward God, little children toward their parents are at rest. They just let mom and dad sort things out. And then we can look to God and be at rest and say, oh, God has it. God, you know, now we have to pray. We have to have faith. We have to communicate. And having faith is being persuaded. That's what the word faith gets its root from, is about being persuaded towards something. 
We need to look at God and see who God is, what God's like, what God has done in the past with his people, and then, and then as a result, know that God can do that kind of thing for us as well. God can lift us out of the muck and the mire and the, and the darkness. You know, Jesus slept through the storm. It says when he was in the boat and all the disciples were bailing water because they thought they were going to sink. Jesus was asleep. We can look to him and say, oh, God is omniscient, all-knowing. He doesn't stress out over things like I stressed out over things. If I'm having an anxiety attack, is that because God's having an anxiety attack? Or do I need to adjust my thinking, turn my understanding away from the world around me, and look to him and see, is it possible to live a life of rest and peace, even in the midst of everything? Now, I know that sounds impossible, but even as Jesus was woken up, and he says to them, O you of little faith, and he stills the storm, later, when they're in the similar predicament, Jesus is not in the boat, he's walking on the water. It's like a whole nother level up. So they go from him in the boat, asleep, resting because he knows who he is and who his father is and that God has all things in his hand and that he's not going to drown in this boat, he's able to then still the storm through his relationship with the father. Now, later on, when Jesus isn't in the boat with the disciples, it's a whole nother level of testing. And that's when Peter kind of ups the ante and says, hey, if that's really you out there, Lord, then call me out to you. And so Jesus gets out of the boat and actually does walk on the water with him. He completely ignores, for a moment, all the waves and all the wind. And you could say, just like a little kid who's standing on the side of the pool, and you say, jump, I'll catch you. And the kid just says, all right, and he flings himself out there. That's what Peter basically did. He said, Jesus, if that's really you, then call me out there into the water. And so Jesus was able to say, sure, come on out here with me, Peter. And Peter stepped out and went with him, even though the circumstances around him were screaming, don't do that. You'll go straight to the bottom of the sea. You're going to die. But Jesus, but Paul, uh, Peter did it. And he stepped out there just like a little child would jump off the side of the swimming pool into mom and dad's arms. That's what it's like, only on a huge grand scale of life and events and all the stuff going on around us, like wars and economy and high fuel prices and, oh no, what's going on? Am I going to get that illness or that sickness? Oh no. We rest in the Lord and we trust that he understands exactly what's happening all the time and that we can just say, you know what? He's got this. I'm going to put one step one foot in front of the other, and I'm going to walk in that direction. And that takes maturity. So you're a mature child. You have childlike wisdom and understanding and knowledge in who God is. And I'm saying all this to say that you have got to throw yourself into the Scriptures with prayer and with faith that what the Bible says is actually above and beyond the way we're living on a regular basis. Anybody can look at the circumstances around us and go, oh man, I can't believe there's this other crisis that's taking place. What's going to, how is this going to affect me? How am I going to make a living? How am I going to get through the next month or the next year or whatever? We look to God and we say, you know what? I can be at peace because I know that God has a plan because I know that God has, is, is working throughout time and space and history and in human lives, and I'm going to simply turn to him and trust. I know it sounds stupidly simple, 
doesn't it? It really, and you're looking at me rolling your eyes right now and going, come on, you don't know my circumstances. What circumstances are there of being in a boat and everything is fleeing around and you see this guy walking out there on the water and you talk to that guy? It's, it's like, how can he be doing that? That's not even possible to even walk on water, but you're able to step out on the water with him. It happened. Peter did it. And he it was written down in a couple of the Gospels for us to read and to meditate on and to say, could I do that? Could I just walk on the water? Could I completely ignore everything going on around me that looks like it's falling apart on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis and have that rest in the Lord? Could I actually do that? Yes, if you convert and be like a little child— And if you grow in maturity at the exact same time in wisdom, in understanding, and having the mind of Christ, and in love. So these things have to be held in balance. So like I said at the beginning, the Bible is full of this sort of deeper way of looking at things. Of You have a physical world around you that bombards you every day because you're in it. But you are not to be of it. You're to be above the physical world around you, and walking in the spirit. You have the natural, you have the supernatural. You have life in the flesh, day to day. You have life in the spirit. They actually can see above and beyond the life of the physical day to day. You can see beyond it because you're not looking at the circumstances. You're not looking at the waves and the fact that water just simply doesn't hold people up. You're looking over there at Jesus. And it says explicitly, that when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the world around him, that's when he fell into the water. And then Jesus had to come and pull him out. And I wish it would talk a little bit more about how Jesus pulled him out and they walked together back to the boat. It does say they got back into the boat. So this is this is the, the challenge that's being set before me and before you, is to have eyes to see and ears to hear beyond what actually is right there in front of your face. When you're reading the black and white words of Scripture, that's good and necessary, but let those push your soul and push your spirit to a higher position, to a a deeper position of life in the Spirit. So all these things in the Scripture are there to point us, to push us, to provoke us to seek the Lord who is supreme. He is one above all things. There is a simplicity that is in Christ, and that simplicity is something we can't, that the devil is trying to kick us off of. So you have to maintain that mindset of simplicity in Christ in order to have the rest and the peace and to enter into the kingdom of God. And we've just scratched the surface on these things. So God bless you, and I trust that you are are daily reading the scripture, daily praying, daily interacting with other believers to grow in strength in your own faith. So we'll see you again next time. God bless. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.